Our scripture reading this morning is from Isaiah chapter 35, verses 1 through 7. The desert and the parched land will be glorified. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it, the splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear, your God will come. He will come with vengeance. With divine retribution, he will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer, and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool, the thirsty ground bubbling springs. In the haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow. This is the word of God. Good morning. Thank you for that scripture reading. If you would uh, turn your Bibles to the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 35. You may have noticed the title of the sermon, and that is the flood of the Spirit of God. The flood of the Spirit of God. Now, normally when we think of the word flood, we think of devastation. We think of destruction. We have seen that dramatically played out in the devastation caused by Hurricane Ida. I have family that lives in Louisiana. They were in the path of the storm. Uh, they were spared, but others weren't. And the storm spread for a thousand miles and up, up through New England. And many lives were lost and much destruction took place. I pray for the people, and I especially pray for the people of God at the time of crisis that they might rise up and glorify God in both word and in deed. The church is good in all of its denominations with rising up in times of crisis in times of serving others. And my prayer has been that it would rise up at this time. But this morning, I wanna talk about a different kind of flood. When I was 17 years old, I found myself 1300 miles from home. I worked as a laborer on an oil pipeline that ran from Eastern New Mexico into West Texas. It was the Lana Estacado, the State Plains. It was some 3,000 feet above sea level, but it was a high desert region, like described here in the book of Isaiah, a desert region. 
It was land of Billy the Kid. I know that because the town had a museum to Billy the Kid. So that's how I know that. It was oil rich, but it was dusty, dirty, sandy. And I grew up in an area where it was green and we had fields and there were rivers and there were lakes. And to find myself out there in that desert, working that kind of job was, well, pretty trying to me. And so I couldn't wait. It was winter. I said, once spring comes, I'm getting out of here. I'm going for greener pastures. There's got to be greener pastures somewhere. But I got bogged down for a time. I didn't leave right away. And I got into the spring months. And one day it began to rain. And I mean, it really rained. I walked into a grocery store. And when I came back out, the streets were already running like rivers. And out in the desert, the dry riverbeds, they filled up with water. And there were ravines that were cascading water. And I looked around, there were temporary lakes out in the desert. And then about two weeks later, the desert just exploded. Cactus began to bloom and grass grew up everywhere. And there were flowers that just blanketed the ground. I couldn't believe I have never ever seen such a transformation in such a short time in my entire life. I have seen those transformed by the grace of God. That was miraculous and wonderful. But in nature, this was the most amazing transformation that I ever witnessed. I have been back many times to that same area. Two years later, I came back. I worked pulling irrigation wells in the desert. It was dusty. It was sandy. That beauty wasn't there. Some years after that, I returned to preach. I preached at 3rd and Central in Lovington, New Mexico. I preached at another congregation further to the north. But I never again saw the desert like I did and it stuck in my mind all these years. And as I was reading through Isaiah 35, that image came to my mind. Now, the context of Isaiah 35 is the Assyrian invasion. Assyria invaded Israel under Sennacherib. They were the superpower of the day. And they came in. In fact, Isaiah will say later, when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Lord will lift up a standard against it. And so they came in like a flood. It was like a devastating flood. They wrecked village after village, town after town, city after city. And finally, they reached Jerusalem. And with several hundred thousand soldiers, they surrounded the city. And they demanded that Jerusalem surrender. Well, inside that city were two men of God. They were shut up like birds in a cage, and they gave themselves to prayer. King Hezekiah, Isaiah the prophet, they did what any sane man would do. When you look out and see several hundred thousand soldiers surrounding you, they gave themselves to prayer. And the hand of God moved one night, and Sennacherib woke up the next day. He dug 185,000 graves, and he retreated.
That's the context. Here are these devastated people. It is a description of the spiritual condition of the people during that time of devastation. Verse three, the people were weak and they were feeble. Verse four, the people were anxious. Verse five, the people were not able to see God or to hear God like they should. And in verse six, the people, because of discouragement, had lost their zeal and the song within their heart. It is, of course, a prophecy. And I believe that what we see here in the picture of the water being poured out is in reality a picture of the outpouring of the Spirit of God. Isaiah uses water to describe the Spirit of God. He says in Isaiah 44 and verses 3 and 4, For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessings on your descendants, and they shall spring up among the grass like willows by flowing streams. I will pour my spirit. So the outpouring of the water is a symbol of the outpouring of the spirit. Now this prophecy has to do with physical Israel. It has to do with the people living during the time of Isaiah. Isaiah is giving them encouragement. God is going to move. God is going to restore you. The devastation won't last forever. You will be lifted up. You will again sing. You will again rejoice. You will again be able to get over your anxiety and live for God. But I believe it has an ultimate fulfillment. And that ultimate fulfillment is in the people of God, the people of God today. I would say that this prophecy was ultimately fulfilled on the day of Pentecost. You remember what happened on the day of Pentecost? Here Jesus has died. He's been buried. He's been resurrected. But the disciples are gathered together in an upper room. And on the day of Pentecost, the spirit of God that was promised by Jesus, the spirit of God was poured out. And it came down. He came down like tongues of fire and rested upon each one of them individually signifying that no longer does the glory of God, the presence of God rest upon a nation, but rests upon individual people. And Peter began to preach. He preached the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Then he summed it up because some of the people began to cry out. They said, oh, men and brother, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? We are responsible. Christ has died. We are responsible. And what did Peter say to them? He said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Change your mind. Change your direction. Look the other way from where you've been going and have faith in Christ. And you receive not only the forgiveness of sins, but receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
Now, the gift of the Holy Spirit is not a gift from the Holy Spirit, although there are many of those. It is the gift of the Spirit. The Spirit of the living God comes to dwell in the believer. Every single person who is saved by the grace of God is indwelt by the Spirit of God. The Spirit. I believe the Spirit to be one of the neglected. There is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We know something about what to do with the Father. We know something about what to do with the Son. But what about the Spirit? I think it's unfortunate uh, that uh, the King James said the Holy Ghost. Only because the word spirit is better. Because sometimes you think of a ghost, you think of some kind of wisp. You know, puff of smoke or something. Or maybe when you think of the Holy Spirit, you think of uh, some type of energy or some type of power. But the Holy Spirit is a person. The third person of the Godhead. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. What is the spirit like? What is his characteristics? Well, we cannot fathom completely the nature of God. It's impossible. Our minds can't go there. But God has revealed himself to us. What is the Father like? Oh, Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The Father is like Jesus Christ. What is the Spirit like? The Spirit is called the other helper, the advocate, the paraclete, the one who's called alongside of us, the one who dwells in us. And Paul said, he is Christ in us, the hope of glory. If you want to understand what the nature of the Spirit who dwells in you is, look to Jesus. The Spirit is exactly like Jesus. And he is not dormant in our lives. He is there to represent Christ. He is there to be Christ in us. He is there to mold us into the image of Jesus Christ. It is a truth. It is a reality. We are indwelt by the spirit of the living God. And what is he doing? Let me read to you one more verse out of the New Testament. Using that figure of water. In John chapter 7, beginning in verse 37. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood and he cried out. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. As the scripture has said, out of his heart or out of his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water shall flow rivers of living water out of the innermost being. And then he said for the spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified, but we live in a day and time. Jesus has been glorified. He ascended to the right hand of God, the father. He poured out on the day of Pentecost the spirit into the world. And now the spirit himself comes to dwell in every single individual that names the name of Christ. 
And I believe I can put some names on those rivers. Now I want you to notice these rivers of living water are flowing from the inside out. For out of their innermost being or out of their heart from the inside flows out rivers of living water. What are those rivers? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, meekness, faithfulness, self-control, the fruit of the Spirit. And when Paul writes that, you know what he says? When he lists the fruit of the Spirit, he says, and against such things there is no law. Can you pass a law to stop, to dam up those rivers of living water? How are you going to pass a law that stops people from loving and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and meekness and faith and self-control? It cannot be done. And that's what we have dwelling within us. And when we come to understand that work of the Spirit of God deep within our own beings, the weak hands, in the words of Isaiah 35, the weak hands will be strengthened. The feeble knees will be made firm. Those with an anxious heart will fear not, and they will be strong. The spiritually blind shall see, and spiritually we will hear God. The lame shall leap like a deer, and the mute shall sing for joy. Hmm. The work of the Spirit within. Well, how do we know more and more of the work of the Spirit in our own lives? I'll say one thing. You can never, ever have more of the Spirit. You simply can't. The moment you are converted, you are sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. He comes to dwell within you. You cannot have more of the Spirit. Oh, but the Spirit can have more of us, can He? And that's why the Scriptures say, do not grieve the Spirit. Do not quench the Spirit. Instead, Paul says, be filled with the Spirit. Now, how does that take place, that Spirit-filled life? I don't have three quick steps to a Spirit-filled life. I will throw in a short commercial. <laughs> when we complete the fourth Beatitude, I'd like to spend the week because I believe the first four Beatitudes speak of the attitudes that lit leave us or lead us to a spirit-filled life. I think that Isaiah 35 tells us. It also is in John 7. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Hmm. And in Isaiah 35, he says, behold, your God. Behold, your God shall come. To enjoy that spirit-filled life, oh, we must spend time. We must spend time with the Father. Spend time with Christ. People of prayer. People of the book. People who know God 
other than by hearsay. Know God intimately and personally and close. What tremendous privilege it is to walk upon this earth, to be indwelt by the spirit of the living God and to have such potential dwelling within us. So much so that Jesus said, from your innermost being or out of your belly or out of your heart, however you want to say it, from deep within flow these great rivers of living water. And what does our world need? Our world needs love. It needs joy. It needs peace. It needs patience. It needs kindness. It needs goodness and meekness and faith and self-control. And we have all that dwelling deep within us. Let us be occupied with our God. Let us be occupied with the Christ. Let us spend much time meditating on him, praying to him, living for him. And I'll guarantee you something's going to take place within our lives where rivers of living water will flow. I think back to that time in New Mexico and what I saw take place there in the desert. And I want that very same thing in a spiritual sense to take place in the deserts of our lives. That we might be people by God's grace who demonstrate the power, the power of the Holy Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit describes our lives. Let's pray. Father, we have sat here far from the ways of busy men and all the things that take place in this world. We have sat in your presence. Oh, we worship, Father. Thank you for the grace given to worship. And we prayed unto you, and your word has been opened. Oh, but how we pray, Father, we need more of you. We need more of you. When we're anxious, we need you. When we're fearful, we need you, Father. Oh, how we need you. Enable us to sing songs of joy. Open up within us the great working of your spirit that these mighty rivers of living water might flow. In Jesus' name, all our focus is on Jesus. Amen. Thank you.